This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Well, I'm going to just pick up kind of where I left off yesterday. Yesterday we talked about the occult. Today I'm going to talk about faith. You know, we have to learn how to resist the devil. We need to know how to uh, overcome the enemy. And one of the best things that we can do is our faith. Our faith. Faith is a very powerful tool in the arsenal of the believer. And uh, many people uh, talk a lot about faith, but demonstrate very little faith. And uh, I want to appreciate Pastor Greg McQueen yesterday. He did an amazing job speaking on, on the topic. And uh, uh, Dr. Asa Garapira, we want to thank you for the contribution you made. It was very concise. If, if, if you didn't hear his message, I want to recommend you get that. Of course, Dr. Of course, Bishop Bob McLaughlin has uh, uh, outdone himself again and again and again, and we're so grateful for that. And uh, I'm very, very grateful. Pastor Taz, uh, I, I don't know. These guys just get better and better all the time. And uh, what, a, what, a, what a stellar word that he gave yesterday as well. So uh, I, I feel inadequate coming behind such great speakers, but we'll do the best we can, okay? And uh, we'll try to lay some foundations. I'm not so interested in being as eloquent as they, but I hope I can impart something, amen? So here's, here's the thought that I have. You know, there are many Christians today, many believers, that live as if tomorrow is promised to them. And that the things they should be doing today can wait until tomorrow. My hope is that from this time forward, the next 40 years, as we are talking about entering into promise, that we can make some changes. I hope that we no longer wait for tomorrow. Because every day we wait, another soul enters into hell. That soul is separated and lost from God for eternity. And that may just be because you and I are waiting for one more day for something, we may not even know what it is. We have to be steadfast because in this year, 2022, in this season, the season of entering into promise, we will begin to understand more fully how the world is changing around about us. You know, many people are trying to live in their past. They're trying to live in a world that is never coming back. You know, there's a, there's a website called, I forget what it's called, but it's something like uh, Rhodesians Never Die or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, you, you understand that our church was full of Rhodesians at one time. We are all a white church, and, 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 and I, I love this website because there's a lot of familiar names and faces there, and, uh, but, but it's like they're living in, we're, guys, Rhodesia is never coming back. Now, Rhodesians may never die, but Rhodesia died. And, and, and you know, it's, it's terrible to look in the rearview mirror your whole life. What could have been, what might have been, what should have been, what, what was. 
And some of these people are stuck in a bitterness that I, I can't even describe. It's like, really? Really? This was 40 years ago now. It's 40 years ago. And they're still stuck there. And, and, and uh, you know, so for some it's just getting back in touch with people that they knew. But for others, it's, it's really a place where they go and beat a drum that's very, very funny to me. It's not funny. It's very sad, in fact, for me. You know, but uh, I, I knew some of these people. But this morning, that's, I don't know why I said that. That's just a by, a by the way. But uh, this morning, well, there is a point to it. You'll get to it in a minute. But this morning, I want to remind you why the children of Israel wandered for 40 years in a wilderness. You know, in my early years of ministry, I used to share about what I called placebo faith. Placebo faith. A, a placebo, and you all know what this is, is used by a doctor, or it's a testing method known as a double-blind study. When they test things, what they'll do is they'll give somebody the real medication, then they'll have another group that is not on any medication at all, and then they'll give another group a placebo. A placebo is a sugar pill, basically. It's a, it's a pill that has no value whatsoever. There's no power in it. It's a, also, it's used as a type of treatment by doctors to give the person a confidence. Uh, some doctors will prescribe a placebo to you because it's a psychological problem that you're facing. And you, and you just think if you take that, you're going to get better. It's true. It's true. Uh, and it's amazing that there are actual protocols that are used to prescribe a placebo. And, 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 and here's the amazing thing. What's amazing to me is that patients who receive this placebo actually receive relief and healing because they believe that the pill or the treatment that, this, that they're receiving is healing them. So in these circumstances, it's their belief that brings into reality what really should not exist. This, my friends is in many ways a picture of how faith works. Our faith is exercised and powered through our beliefs because what we believe puts our faith in motion. You know, we can't separate our beliefs from our faith. Now, I, I want you to see this clearly because what you believe will give evidence of your faith, regardless of what others may say to convince you otherwise, or what you may say to others to convince them of your faith. Our beliefs will always demonstrate our faith or our lack of faith. Hebrews 11 says it this way, now faith Everybody say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 goes on and say, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe, first of all, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Another verse, Proverbs 23, verse 7, the first part of the verse says, for as he thinks, or as a man thinks within himself, so is he. As you think within yourself, as a man thinketh, so is he. That's a very powerful statement. Now, think about the relevance of these two scriptures. And I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive to try to help you today. 
But as we review the children of Israel, where they came from and, and why they refused to enter the promised land, the, the, the children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because of their mindset and the fear that they allowed to overshadow their faith. And, and Pastor Taz did such a great job on this, I, I feel like I'm repeating it, but I, I think it's for a purpose today. When, when the children of Israel arrived in the, in the land that God had promised them, that they arrived at the border of it, they didn't get to go in, but when they arrived there, Moses sent 12 men, a leader from each of the 12 tribes. These are, these are supposedly the, the, the key leaders of, of, the, of the church. It's amazing to me, even in churches, you have these so-called key leaders, but not all of them carry faith. So he sent 12 men, each leader of the tribe, to spy out the land. The men went into the country, they went into the cities, and they examined the land, and they examined the fruit thereof. They brought back samples of the fruit. And when they returned to Moses, they confessed that the land was everything that God had said that it was, that God had promised to them. But 10 of those men were afraid to enter the land. It was only Joshua and Caleb who stated that they were willing, ready, and able to take the land, to go up immediately and take it. The people, when hearing the negative report from the 10 men, took on the fear of their 10 leaders, took on the report of those 10 leaders, and sided with those 10 against Joshua and Caleb. So what caused these 10 men to ultimately, and, and, and ultimately the rest of the people, to be afraid? Well, again, Pastor Taz adequately described it yesterday. But the men focused on the people and the conditions that they saw in the land instead of God who had brought them out of Egypt. They were focusing on what they saw instead of on God. There was a great preacher. His name was John Osteen. And uh, I never forget the first time I heard him preach about the children of Israel fighting David or fighting Goliath and how David came up and he said, you know, uh, they limited the Holy One of Israel because of their, because all they could see was this giant, this huge giant. He said, they, and they were looking at the giant and they couldn't see their little God. They had a big giant and a little God. But David, who had been worshiping God in the fields and had a big God, came and said, who is this little uncircumcised Philistine? See, your vantage point is, what size is your God? What size is God in your life? You know, if, if, if you've magnified your, your giants, then it's going to be very hard to find God. But if you've magnified your God, it's going to be very far hard to find your giant. And this is what happened here. They used the excuse initially that the people were strong, that the city was secure which made it impossible for them to conquer it. And, and, and although these are the reasons that they give, I, I believe that these were the excuse to cover up the real reason. And, and, and I think it's very, very important. Now think about your own life. What are the excuses you give for why you don't do what God tells you to do? And what is the real reason? Here, here's what's concerning me is, I, 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 I'm, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for now you know, nearly 50 years, I've been pastoring and talking to people and leading people. 
And I'm always shocked at the excuses people give for all kinds of stuff. But it's never the reason. The reasons were an excuse to cover up the real reason. If you read the story closely, you're going to discover the real reason for their fear didn't rest in their enemies. It rested in how they saw themselves. Not necessarily how strong the inhabitants were, but how they viewed themselves against those inhabitants. How they viewed themselves destroyed their faith in the most powerful God who was on their side. Numbers chapter 13 says it this way, verses 31 and 33. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight. We became like weezes. Hmm? Now, I want you to see how fear made these men contradict themselves. But I'll tell you what, when you start contradicting yourself, that's a good time to stop and say, ooh, what do I really believe? In verse 27, when they first started giving the report about the land itself, here's what they said. It certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. I mean, they're carrying grapes that they have to carry between staves. They say this is an amazing land. So they come back with a positive report, but then, you know, and, and they're confirming that the land was everything that God had promised. But as their fear arose within them, they tried to explain why they believed they could not take the land. And in, in, in verse 32 it says, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. How, how do they know that it's a land that devours its inhabitants? Huh? These, these, these two references to the land are, are, are contradictory. But that's what happens when you start moving out of faith and into something else. Fear is an incredible thing. It makes you say all kinds of irrational things. It makes you, it makes, you make something, uh, well, I, I, I'll give you a definition of fear in a moment. See, but most scholars believe that these ten spies were trying to convey some kind of a message that the environment would be a hard environment for the people to live there. That, that, that in going into this land, many people would die. And in their hearts, after spending years and years in slavery and in bondage to Egypt, they had lost their confidence. They, they, they didn't know how to face reality. They, they didn't really know if they could face the reality of being responsible for themselves. You know, when somebody's given you something your whole life, it's very hard to take responsibility for yourself. You know, that's why I'm against big government. Every election season, guess what you get? Rice? What else? Seed? Fertilizer? Hey! 
But see, what that is, that's a false dependency, and, and it's taking away your confidence to, hey, I don't need the government to do this. I can do this by myself. But see, you're going into a slavish mentality. Anybody listening to me? But you love slavery. I know that. It takes something else to live by faith. According to their report, on the one hand, the land flowed with milk and honey. That meant prosperity. And on the other hand, they said the environment was so harsh that it killed the inhabitants living in it. And only the strongest could survive. It appears that they were seeking any excuse possible to make their case so that they didn't have to go up into the land. As you read further, their final argument shows the real motivation. The real thing that exposed their heart. Their fear. False expectations appearing to be real. That's a good definition of fear. False expect it's an acronym. False expectations appearing to be real. Verse third, in verse 33, it says, There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like wheezes in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. Just lean over to your neighbor and say, are you a grasshopper? <laughs> lean over to your other neighbor and say, are you a weeza? See, it's, here's what they're saying. They said they became grasshoppers in their own sight. In other words, they looked at the people of the land, and then they compared those people to themselves, and they believed in their hearts that they were lesser, lesser in strength, lesser in power, and lesser in ability to overtake the city. I, you know, it's amazing to me how many people, when they start coming to this church, well, they don't believe they belong here. Oh, that's the rich people's church. Or, oh, you know, you have to have a car to go there. Oh, no, I, I'm like a grasshopper compared to those giants. And after a while, they get in the church and, you know, they, they, they realize that, well, well, wait a minute. And they begin to build their faith. They begin to get strong. And all of a sudden, they begin to say, no, no, I can do this. And they begin to have a little victory here and a little victory there and a little victory. Before long... That civil servant begins to own a company. They said, well, wait, wait, but I'm doing this for the government and I'm not getting paid. I can do this for myself. I learned everything at the government. That's fine. Learn everything you can, but don't, stick, get, don't get stuck. I want my own land. I had a guy in the church, and he came into the oil industry, the, the, you know, and, and he didn't really want to go into it because, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough industry. It's really hard, and, and it's controlled by the government. And there's, the big boys are out there controlling all the oil and all the... I said, yeah, well, so what are you, a grasshopper? Said, as long as you see those big boys, and you see every... And you'll never go into a field where the big boys are, where the... Giants are. Why? Because you're a grasshopper. 
or maybe because you're white. Oh, I listen to a lot of my white folks. We, we can't, you know, the, the Africans control everything. Don't limit yourself. If anything, just look at your pastor. How does a white man in an African nation have a church like this? Is it because it, why? It shouldn't happen. Because, amen, thank you. It shouldn't happen. You know why it shouldn't happen? In the natural. But we're not dealing with the natural. We're dealing with a spiritual thing. God gave us spiritual principles, spiritual victories. I'm not looking at the color of a man's skin. I'm not looking at the, the economy. I'm not looking at the government. I'm looking at what God said. Oh, you know, that, that area is controlled. What area is controlled by who? See, as long as you have that mentality, you'll never, ever have your promise. And you're making excuses. Oh, and it doesn't just work in the area of commerce and industry. It doesn't take, it, it, it works in every area. Education. Why can't you go to school? Oh, I don't have enough money. Let me, I could, if I could tell you how many people here never had enough money to go to school but did. You see, you won't know until you begin to go out and try to fight your enemies. It's only when you begin to fight that you begin to conquer them, and it's only then that you begin to have the victories. It's only then that you begin to find the path and the way to that victory. You see, because these people believed that they could not take the city, their focus shifted to something else, staying alive. They focused on themselves. And, 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 and I'll tell you what, this whole idea of survival is a terrible thing. If, if, if you're living to survive, you've already stopped faith working in your life. You've already become a grasshopper. Imagine for a moment what would have happened if they had tried to take the city with that mindset. Imagine how frightened and how, 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 how scared they would have gone into battle and tried to fight that war because in their mind they'd already lost. You know, you, it's very hard to lead people that are fearful. You know, Pastor Bonnie and I have a saying around here that it's very hard to work with people that cannot see. Oh, you, you can see with these eyes, but you can't see. You can't see. You, 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 you see what is, but you can't see what could be. You, you can see this, but you can't see this. It, it's very hard. I, I, I can't explain it other than when you, have, when you work with somebody who can see, something unlocks. It's like, oh, because there's a faith involved. There's, they, they see possibilities. They, they, oh, they preempt things. I used to teach about helps ministry. You know, a helps minister is somebody who can see and can do something about it. A helper is somebody who has to be told. We've got a lot of helpers in Africa. Uh, can, can you pick up that piece of paper? Can somebody come and pick that piece of paper up? There's a piece of paper on there. Everybody, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody can. If I see it, they can do it. But a helps ministry sees the piece of paper before I ask and picks it up, cleans it up, and you don't even know that it was happened. A helper will step over the... They'll step over the puddle of water 25 times, back and forth all day. 
A helps ministry says, oh, oh, they'll find a mop, they'll find a bucket, they'll get that all cleaned up and, because they're, they, they, they see. Well, not only is it in helps ministry, it's in, it's in, it's in almost everything. One only sees themselves. The other one sees everything else around. And, 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 and the guy that only sees themselves, opportunities are passing them all day long. But the person who can see has faith. And they see possibilities. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Oh, my goodness. You know, we can, we're well able to take the land. They have something else that motivates them. Is anybody listening to me? Thank you for those three-week claps. Now listen to this. Amen. Here's the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing. God did not force the children of Israel to take the city. He did not force them to go into the promised land. In fact, he allowed them to make their decision, which led them to walking away from the promised land and wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. He honored their choice. You see, your faith or our faith will lead us into our promised land or it will cause us to walk in our wilderness. You'll never blame God for where you end up. That'll be your responsibility. Many Christians who have chosen to walk in their wilderness will die in their wilderness just as the children of Israel who were 20 years and old, 20 years old and upward at that time when they refused to enter the promised land, they died in their wilderness. You see, whenever we're not where God wants us, we're in our wilderness. Now, our wilderness is represented as a place that I call in between. I went to Orlando, Florida with some of our um, businessmen one time, and we'd been to a conference with Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, and I, I, uh, there was a new ride at Universal Studios. And it was called uh, The Hulk. Brand new ride. Brand new ride. And uh, what would happen is you'd get to go there and you could see people get on the ride. And then you'd see them get off the ride. Now, when they got on the ride, they looked one way. When they got off the ride, they looked like something else. What you didn't know what, happened, what was happening was what was going on in between. And I didn't know what was going to happen in between either. I'd never been on this ride. So I took uh, one of our, in fact, it was our children's pastor. and He'd never been on a roller coaster in his entire life, ever. Now, this roller coaster, you get in it, and it goes up, 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 and it stops on its way up. And then it catapults you. I mean, you get to like 120 miles an hour in like six, about three seconds. Phew! And then it's straight down, and then it corkscrews, and it goes underground. I, well, <laughs> none of us were prepared for the in-between. But I did notice when people were getting off, they had tears. They were, some of them could hardly walk off. Well, this children's pastor said words that children's pastors should never say to me when we got off that ride. I thought he was saved, but obviously he had a few areas that need to be fixed. But the point I'm trying to make is this. 
that the walk of faith is your choice. And either way, we don't know what's in between. And you're either going to go with what you believe, and it has an end, and it's an end in a wilderness, or you're going to go with what God says. See, we've not arrived at the place that God is taking us to yet, but I believe we're on our way, and I believe that we're entering into promise. Some of you are in your wilderness this morning, some by choice and others by design. If it's by choice, it means that you've chosen not to follow God. And you've built up all kinds of reasons for why you can't. The people, the weather, sickness, disease, anything that will keep you from possessing the promise. There are all kinds of things that you fear, all things, kinds of things that you fabricate to excuse yourself from what you know you're called to do and called to be. There's nothing worse than somebody who gets trapped in their own excuses trapped in their own sickness. And that sickness is not a real sickness. It's a sickness to keep them from facing the reality of what should be and what could be. I'm not saying that we don't have real sicknesses. But many doctors will tell you that much sickness is psychosomatic. If it's by design, on the other hand, you're on your way to where God is taking you. The wilderness experience by design is totally different from the wilderness experience by choice. With one, you're, ex you're exercising your faith in God. and With the other, you're not. See, our wilderness experience is where our faith is tested. It's the place that we have to go through to get to our promised land. Even Jesus had 40 days in a wilderness to have his faith tested of the devil, and he won every test by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, he held on to what God had said to him. He held on to the promise God had given him. And he, in 40 days, went through the same wilderness that it took 40 years for the Israelites to get through. You see, it's, it's the wilderness is where a lot of Christians die. Because their faith is based solely on the moment behind them. Where God had already acted on their behalf. One of the saddest experiences for me is to talk to Christians who have faith in the past tense. You notice Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith, now faith is. Faith is now. If you're still having faith, you know, when I ask you what your testimony is. Oh yes, in 1979 I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, it, it's now 19, it's now 2022. Well, you know, 1984, I, ha I got baptized in water. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's 2022. Well, I remember when we built the Celebration Center. That was 20 years ago. It was 19 years ago. You're still living in that past glory? See, you're, you're, you have what God did. What is God doing? Faith is now. Faith is now. Faith is now. I tell you, if you're living in the past, you're in the wilderness. Faith in the past tense is looking back for the proof of that God did it versus looking forward to what God will do. 
Placebo faith believes in nothing as if it was something. Through faith, the nothing becomes something. You have no proof yet, but you believe, and that becomes the proof. You see, when we believe without the proof, the proof reveals itself. The children of Israel refused to enter the promised land because all they could see was how they looked compared to the inhabitants of the land. When the people refused to go in and take the land, Moses cried out to God and he asked God to pardon the people for his sins. And this is what he cried out in Numbers 14, verses 20 through 30. He says, so the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your intercession, Moses, by, by your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory, have seen my signs, which I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, in no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land and he, which, he, which he entered. And his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel which they are making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to the complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land which I swore to settle I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Who made the decision for them to die in the wilderness? Now, I know the temptation here in this Calvinistic nation is God did it. No, it wasn't God. They made the choice. You chose. Where are you today? exactly where you chose to be. You are exactly where you chose to be. No, 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 no. The, gov the government? No. How come one family can survive and thrive under the same government and you, the giants are too big. Okay, what are your excuses? Giants? Policies? Governments? Give me, come on, I want to hear all your excuses. Explain it away to me. Explain it away to me why God's promises don't work for you. Explain it away to me why, you know, God will work for somebody, won't work for others. Here, here we see, amen, come on. So here we see God honoring Moses' request. God, Moses prays and God honors his request and he pardons the people. He says, okay, I forgive their sin. But in doing so, 
He says, but I'll give the people exactly what they ask for. They don't want to enter the land? That's okay. They don't have to go in. I'm going to give them what they ask for. I'm not going to make you go into your promise. I'm not going to make you walk in to fight your enemies. I'm not going to make you become strong and powerful people. He says, if you want to live in a wilderness, have at it. However, since they refused to go into the promised land, God said to them that they would wander in their wilderness until every adult from 20 years onwards and upward died. Their faith is what causes them to die in their wilderness. Just like our faith can cause us to die in our wilderness. See, you don't know this, but you have faith either way. Your faith can destroy you. It's like the person believing that they are sick and actually does get sick. Just as it can bring life to us by responding to a placebo treatment. I have a doctor here in the church and I asked him, do you ever give placebos? I very sheepishly he told me. Well, he says, yeah, sometimes. I said, why do you do that? He says, well, he says, because the person, there's nothing wrong with them, but they believe there's something wrong with them. He says, but if I give them this thing, it says, oh, in, 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 if you take this for a week, you'll be better. It's amazing how they get better. I said, but, but what is it? He says, it's a sugar tablet. I said, but why is that? He says, because there's something to do with faith, something to do with faith, something to do with believing that helps them get better. I was shocked. You see, it all depends on what we're putting our faith in. It takes faith to believe that someone is better and stronger than me. It takes faith to believe that I am stronger and that I'm capable to overcome. If my faith is fueled by the belief that I'm weaker, then surely I'll be weaker. If my faith is fueled by the belief that I'm stronger, then surely I'll be stronger. Regardless of how you believe, here's the one thing that will not change based on our belief. God's plan for what he wants done. God doesn't change. And God doesn't change because we put our faith in the wrong things. God doesn't change. God's plan does not change because we choose not to believe. God still has a plan. He has a plan for Every one of you. He says, I've, I've given you good works to accomplish. He says, I've, I've equipped you. I've given you everything that you need that pertains to life and to godliness. He says, I've caused you to be partakers of the divine nature. He gives us all these wonderful promises, but very few people will trust him and enter into promise. God's plan doesn't change because God's word doesn't change. Now, I talked about placebo faith. We don't have placebo faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence or the proof of things you cannot see. R Romans 10.17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Does it not say that? How do you get faith? By hearing the word of God. 
We heard a testimony last night. If you weren't here last night, you should have heard the testimony. Here's a man who was a crack addict. His mind fried, but he spent 8, 10, 12 hours a day reading the Bible. And today he sits here fully clothed in his right mind. Not only is he fully clothed in his right mind, he has now taken over the very program that changed his life and is changing the lives of others. And how did he do it? By the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we could actually, I believe it's not incorrect theologically to replace faith with the Word of God. Now the Word of God is the placeholder. It's faith in the Word of God. The Word of God is the substance of the thing you're hoping for. The Word of God is the proof or the evidence of the thing you can't see yet. So when God speaks, when God gives you the Word, guess what? There may be enemies, but God's Word is more powerful than what you see. The Word of God is the substance of the thing that is hoped for. We hope to be able to take our promised land. We hope to be able to build our business. We hope to have a great marriage. We hope to be able to solve our problems. But the Word of God says you will, so it becomes the substance of the thing I'm hoping for. It becomes the proof that will hold up in a court of law the evidence of the thing I don't see yet. But the children of God, or the children of Israel, because they did not mix their faith in the word of God, could not enter into the promise. So when you read this story, you'll find that God did not give them a new promised land, one that would be more suitable for those who doubted. God didn't take them to another promised land. God didn't say, well, okay, you know what, I have a, I'll, I'll tell you what, there's another plan for you because you're a doubter. I know that you're a weak one, so here's what I'll do. You're not going to get the promise that I gave you, so I'll give you another promise. Here's, here, because I'm, I'm, I'm tailor-making for, for you. I, I'm the God that's your heavenly butler. What do you want? No, I'm just, the, I'm just the, the guy that just does whatever you want me to do. No, he says, I have a purpose. I have a plan for your life. If you want God's plan and his purpose, you have to obtain his purpose and his plan by his promise. Or he doesn't tailor-make something for you. You're not the center of the universe, by the way. Although your mommy and daddy told you you were. Some of you are raising your children that way. You're making them out like they're the center of the universe. Your lives orbit around your children. When your children's lives should orbit around your family. Oh, you don't feel like going to church? Oh, okay, well, well, excuse me. You will get dressed, you're going to church, and you'll sit on the front row with me. Oh, now, if you have another plan, that's fine. There's no promised land for you. You go find another house to live in. Look, in, in a family, there are rights and there are privileges. In my family, you have a right. Three meals a day, a roof over your head, a bed, an education, those are your rights. Privileges, your car, the cell phone I gave you, the vacations we go on, 
And I can remove all the privileges I want to. You always, I'll, I'll always feed you. Don't worry, I'll take care of you. But I can remove privileges based on your performance. God didn't create or send them to a different land that would be easier for them. No, God sent them to the wilderness to wander around in circles until all the adults who doubted died. Exceptions being Joshua and Caleb and their families. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness because they did not believe what God had said to them. They did not put their faith in God's word. If we do not change... Some of us will die in our wilderness for exactly the same reason. We will not enter into promise. Now you can tap your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to somebody that should have been here today. You know, I never forget that I read a story and, and, and we even had a case in our church of a woman who believed that she was pregnant to the point that she began to show evidence of being pregnant. Now, I understand this is in medical terms, there's a, there's a terminology for this, and this, this does happen. That psychosomatically or psychologically, you can believe a certain thing, and you actually take on all the manifestations of being pregnant. The only problem is you're not. But although she was not pregnant, her body aligned itself to her beliefs. Her mind overrode the natural functions of the body and created, created the scenario that she had already believed in. If our minds can do this with our physical body, just imagine the power that lies within it when we combine it with God's word and believe what God says with everything that's within us. Imagine the healings that will take place when we believe God's word more than the doctor's prognosis. I'm not against doctors, but I'm going to tell you something. They don't call it the medical practice for nothing. They're practicing on you. <laughs> Any honest doctor will tell you they don't get it right most of the time. Lots of the times they do, and I thank God that we have good doctors or we'd have a lot of dead Christians. Are you listening to me? But on the other hand, hmm. You can ask my doctor. He and I have these all the time. He always is wanting to prescribe medicine, medicine. And I'm always saying, I'm not so into medicine. Just tell me what you think is wrong. And then I try to find natural means to get healed. I try to, try to find things besides pharmacy, pharmakia, pharmakia. You know what pharmakia is? Same word for sorcery. The Bible says the whole world will be deceived by their sorceries, their pharmakia. Don't you think that the pharmacy, pharmaceutical world has become a little too big for their britches? I do. Did you know that a doctor, if he treats you and you have a sickness or a disease, even if it's not treatable by an antibiotic, he must give you an antibiotic? Because that's the protocol? Even though we know that that protocol will not work for you, it's, if he doesn't do that and you get sick and die, he's liable. So that's the protocol. It's a pharmaceutical protocol. 
Ask your doctor. He'll tell you. I have these conversations all the time with our doctors. And I feel sorry for many doctors because they're trapped in a pharmaceutical mindset. They're trapped in a pharmaceutical world. If you start bringing them health and health-related issues, they cannot think that way because they are not designed to think that. They were not trained that way. They were trained to bring about a cause and effect. They treat disease. They don't prevent it. They're not trained to prevent disease. They're not trained to, to provide healing. They're only trained to treat symptoms. And they only know one thing, drugs. They don't know health, most of them. I don't know. I always offend your mind so that I can reveal your heart. <laughs> it's time for our doctors to rise up and say, wait a minute, there are things that we can study and look at. We need to lead each other into faith as well. You know, there were some of our doctors that used to believe in divine healing at one time. They would lay hands on you before they ever gave a they ever gave a prognosis. They would lay hands on you and believe that God could heal you. Today, many of them have reverted back to, well, no, 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 and they're so entrained in in, in the medical world that they forgot that wait, there is a God in heaven. I believe in a God of healing. And I believe if all of us turn to that healing, we're going to see a lot more healing. Amen? Imagine the deliverance that will take place when we believe God's word versus what the world tells us to accept. It's a fact that we will remain in the wilderness until we start believing what God says. Our government tells us all kinds of things, and we believe them as if they're true. <gasps> what would happen if we believed God instead of them? I don't listen to them anymore. I just do an end run. I do whatever God tells me to do. Oh, did you hear what they said? Yeah, don't worry. Two weeks from now, they'll change it. Oh, did you hear this? Don't worry. Give it a month. Oh, did they, no, don't worry. It'll all change. Oh, they're changing the dollar. Yeah, don't worry. We'll be back to the Zim dollar before long. Oh, we're, back to the, we're going back to the U.S. Yeah, don't worry. We'll be back. It, it, guys, I don't know why you panic. My, I'm not trusting their leadership. They don't know where they're going. They're children. My trust is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My, God has a plan for my life. And I can't be subject to the whims of somebody who wakes up in the morning can, can change their law because they decide to. That's not leadership. That's expediency. God is leading us into a promise. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest... Over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw away your confidence. What is it you said last night? No, what is it that the, 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 the lion has? Courage. What does the eagle have? Courage. You don't know what he's talking about, do you, when he goes, courage. Have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? You need to go watch The Wizard of Oz because there's a big old lion in there, and he doesn't have courage. But eventually he gets courage. That's what this is. Don't throw away your courage. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. You may receive your promise. The promised land is endured for. It's full of courage to get there. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, everybody say, I'm one of the righteous ones, shall live by faith. Shall live by faith. Turn to somebody say, I'm a righteous one. And I live by faith. Listen to this. My righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Boy, as I close this morning, I just want you to take those verses, 35 and 36, and I want you to sow them into your hearts in this season. Entering into promise, the promise that we're embarking on, let's let's let these sink down. As you think about your faith walk, as you think about your wilderness experiences, as you approach the place that God has prepared for you, just remember these two verses. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Listen to the Amplified. Do not, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. For you have need of steadfast patience and endurance so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full what is promised. What is promised. Remember the negative report from the ten spies? They cast aside their confidence. They cast aside their confidence in themselves. And more importantly, in God who had delivered them out of Egypt. This is an example of what is captured in verse 35 where the writer says that we, we shouldn't throw away our confidence. If we actively throw it away, then that's our choice. It's not something we can't control. It is our decision. Our confidence is aligned with our belief. And if your belief is skewed, your confidence will be skewed. The easiest way to cast aside your confidence is to believe what the world tells you versus what God is saying to you right now. When, he believe, when we believe something is contrary to what the Bible says, it opens the door to everything in the Bible being questioned. And today, boy, I'll tell you, if you listen to this, Everything is in question today. Maybe Adam and Eve really didn't eat forbidden fruit. 
Maybe Noah never really did enter the ark. I mean, could he really have two of every kind of animal? Male and female? Could he put it in a boat? Maybe Jesus died on the cross. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe there is sin, or, or maybe it's just what it is. People living out their own wishes. Maybe God exists. Maybe he doesn't. Are you seeing the picture? At whatever level you allow that wedge of doubt to come into your heart is the day that you've skewed your faith, skewed your heart. It's hard to trust in a God that you can't trust. Once we start with the questions, it never ends. That's one of the strongest resources the enemy has against us, and he uses it to attack our faith. He doesn't always have to use a demonic spirit to do it. He doesn't always have to use sickness to attack us. His most effective weapon is attacking how we think. If he can influence our thoughts, our perspective, the hardest part of his job is done. Therefore, we need to understand what we believe and why Satan attacks those beliefs. For as a man thinks in himself, so is he. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This is our battlefield, our minds. This is why we must take control and not see ourselves as wheezes. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.